Let me read from Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear Lord, we acknowledge your presence among us now, Reveal your glory to us. Speak to each one. Let us hear your voice. Draw us, Father, to yourself through your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. I found a a great quote by an American author. He said, Blessed is the season that engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. That's a good conspiracy to believe in. Sadly, the magic of Christmas is short-lived. Year after year, the spirit of Christmas comes and goes, but the world doesn't seem to change. Would that be true? If we are to experience the deepest, truest impact of the coming of Christ, we need to dig deeper into the mystery of this amazing event. What is it that lay behind the great condescension of the one who was in the very form of God? He not only stepped into human history as one of us, but stooped even lower to that death on the cross. Last week I shared a a lovely story about a a friend of mine who was walking his dog and uh, he had a large dog and there was a little terrier, I'll just remind you, and uh, the terrier was keen to meet this other dog but as the other dog came up, whose name was Panda and and Panda was keen 
to have contact with this little dog. Uh, as they came near each other, with Panda towering over the little fox terrier puppy, you could the owner felt that the, the little puppy was afraid. And in that moment, Panda, this collie, just flopped onto the ground, just stretched out his legs every which way, and came right down to the level of that puppy. And the puppy came up and they connected. And it's a, a very simple but beautiful illustration of the way God has come down to our level to touch us and to allow us to touch him. Now every analogy is, uh, is inadequate to communicate fully what we discover in Jesus Christ. Uh, but sometimes stories can help us relate and open up something that we've never really thought about. The wonder of the God who stoops in order to come near to us. The God who shares our humanity in order to become knowable and touchable. Uh, John, in his first letter, he said, he wrote of the one who was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, gazed upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is the God who told Moses on the mountain that no man can see my face and live. The untouchable God becomes touchable. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Coming down to our level, personally coming near in a way that reassures and welcomes, no matter who we are or what we have done. It's not easy if you you visit churches if you're not uh, it's not your habit to come to church it can be a bit scary and uh, sometimes preachers can be scary and I know I have been sometimes um, Jesus came in such a way that people who felt they didn't belong felt welcomed and felt at ease in his presence it was actually the, the religious people that didn't feel at ease in his presence. Quite amazing. Welcomes us no matter who we are or what we've done. Now the reality is, this is where the analogy breaks down, the reality is that human beings are not simply cute, defenceless little puppies frightened that the big dog that is coming towards us might swallow us alive. It's just not how it is. Because we're not just cute little puppies, we fight and sometimes bite and we have sharp teeth and we live in a dog-eat-dog world. I remember up in the APY lands at night time, you could hear the dogs fighting and uh, close your ears, kids, because some of those dogs, young puppies, were being taken out completely. Terrible. And it puts a new picture, a dog-eat-dog world. Well, that's exactly what we live in, isn't it? We know it. We read of it in the news. 
we're hearing of it every day. The war in Ukraine. People can be ruthless and will do anything to get ahead, no matter how others are hurt and destroyed. God so loved this world, not an ideal world of cute and defenceless puppies, but the world where terrible wars take place and human beings find it easier to hate than to love. And this is the world that Christ was born into. It was no different then. And this is the world where Christ served And it was in the midst of that guilty world where people were hated and hated that the loving kindness of God appeared in the coming of his son. George Herbert wrote a beautiful poem called Love and I think it captures the character of what we're talking about here. Love bade me welcome Yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the ungrateful, the unkind, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? (coughs) Truth, Lord, but I've marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Now there's much more to the incarnation than that than a story about a dog and a puppy. and But it's not less than this. And if we have not had the revelation of such love, then we've not understood the true spirit of Christmas. Now, there's a song called What a Beautiful Name. And it has the lines, You did not want heaven without me, so you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? Some have found fault in that lyric because it implies that God is needy. But others find it expresses a truth worth declaring that Christ longs to bring our hearts the greatest imaginable joy, the sight and savouring of his own eternal and majestic glory. Remember, that's what Jesus prayed. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Not because he would be lonely without us, but because the plan of the Father and the Son and the Spirit from all eternity was to bring us into the full freedom of gazing at his unimaginable glory and reflecting that glory as his beloved bride. And so it's this totally unmerited movement of God towards us in the coming of Christ, his stooping low to lift us to his glory that I want us to consider from Philippians 2. Paul is exhorting uh, a young church. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from any participation of the Spirit, 
any affection, if you've known anything of this in your faith in Jesus Christ, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, one, being one in spirit, having the same love. Don't do anything from selfish ambition. See others as more significant than yourself. That's very interesting, isn't it? As a child, I think it came very naturally to me, personally, to put number one first, to think about me getting the biggest portion. I was watching the grandchildren attack the sweets last night. I didn't think there was going to be anything left for the (laughs) grown-ups. As you get older, you don't do that, do you? Okay. Thinking about our own interests, that just comes naturally, doesn't it? But being in Christ, participating in the life of the Spirit, is a completely different way. You can actually be of one mind, have the same love, care for the interests of others, in humility counting others as more significant, being other person-centred, That's at the heart of what it means to be a human being made in God, not just to be a good Christian, to be a true human being made to reflect God's image. That's why he died, to bring us back to that. And this is the frame of mind we're called to adopt. Have this mind among yourselves. Literally, be thinking this in yourself, which was also in Christ. Now, how can we think as he thought? Because if we believe in him, we are in him and he is in us. We need not despair when we see how selfish we can be. We have another heart, another mind, another way of being. We can live with one mind, having the same love, in the oneness and humility that flows from him because in his great love, in his great mercy, he is... He's united us to himself so that we might live through the power of another himself. But sometimes we need to see how revolutionary such love is, how totally different from anything this world can try and mimic. So where does Paul take us to find the greatest motive for that kind of um, giving ourselves to one another he takes us to Christ he points out the one who had every right to take hold of what was rightly his but instead lay it aside for our sake he points us to the one who souped so low at huge personal cost in order to lift us up Rather than focusing on what he could have for himself, he focused on what he could give to us. And so Paul's saying, be inclined toward one another in that way, as is proper fitting for those who are joined to him. If we're joined to him, we should look like him. And so Paul pulls back the curtains of time of this present existence, to gasp at what Christ did. Where's the motive for living in this way? 
Let's look at him. Let's look at what he did. Firstly, it reveals the lofty status of the one who took on our flesh in the womb of Mary. It shows the great descent the Son of God freely chose in order to serve and to save. It describes the greatest um, renunciation ever accomplished that springs from the very heart of God, something that humanity has never witnessed before. In, in, In the celebration of his birth, we have the deepest revelation of what God intends for our humanity. So what does it say? It says, the one who is in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He shared the glory of the Father from before the creation of the world. He was rich beyond all splendour. He possessed all majesty of deity. He enjoyed all its privileges. He was adored by his Father, worshipped by the angels. He was invulnerable to pain frustration and embarrassment. He existed in unclouded serenity. His supremacy was complete, his blessedness perfect. This was not something he had secured by effort. It was the way things were and had always been. How could such a one ever understand or enter into our world? Our grief, our pain, our wrong our pollution, how could such a one reveal the love of God to a world such as this? Well, Paul tells us he did not insist on his rights. He didn't regard the advantage of his deity as grounds of avoiding the incarnation. Instead, he stooped down and he did it lovingly. He dropped from his high throne to exchange the form and glory of God in its fullness to the form of a servant. He didn't stand on his dignity, he didn't cling to his rights, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped onto tightly at the expense of a lost and doomed humanity. He relinquished the comfort of his own home and he entered the discomfort of our homes. And in all this, He was showing us what God is like. In putting on the towel around his waist and washing the feet of his disciples, he was showing the humility of God. It goes on, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's shocking because that word is doulos, which means slave. A slave had no rights. He was a nobody. He was simply there to serve. Christ came simply to serve. When it says he emptied himself, it doesn't mean he emptied himself of his deity as the son of God. He was the son of God before he was born in, in the womb of Mary. It was God the Son who joined himself to our humanity. But but saying he emptied himself doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his sonship as one with God, as equal with God. It simply means he became a nobody. 
He chose not to use the powers of being God's son to make his life easier. He could have commanded a thousand angels to deliver him from that cross. Other times he he stilled a storm. He showed that he was more than a man. He raised the dead. He delivered people from the demonic powers who recognised his greatness as God's son. But at other times he showed his weakness as a human being. He lived under the limitations of our humanity. He was born in the likeness of men. There was nothing make-believe about his humanity. From his first breath at his birth to his last breath on the cross, he was a real flesh and blood human being. He knew what it was to crave food and sleep and company. He was tempted at all points like we are, yet without sin. He grew up like we did. He grew in knowledge. He he experienced real emotions, joy and sorrow and indignation. He put on our feelings along with our flesh. He had a will. I came not to do my will, but my father's will. In the garden he said, not my will, but your will be done. In being made in our likeness, he was a real human being and he made himself a thing that could be trodden down and crushed. This is the Holy Son of God. He emptied himself not by becoming less than the glorious Son of God, but by revealing his glory as as a Son of God, as the Son of God, in a way that would not blind us or crush us. And no one ever recognised who he really was. People looked and they saw nothing but a man. They marvelled at his miracles, but they did not worship him. He put himself in a place where he was totally misunderstood. Even Peter at one point rebuked his Lord. He rebuked the Holy Son of God. I get When I get told off as a father or a grandfather, I get quite indignant. <laughs> and the Lord suffered under the rebuke of his own disciples. But he, his, his great condescension, you know, if I say, if someone's condescending, it's actually a dirty word now, isn't it? It's an insult because it's this superiority. Christ's great condescension was worn lightly. There was nothing offensive about the fact that he was who he was. Knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God, that he was returning to God, he gets up from the meal and he removes his outer clothing, he wraps a towel around his waist and he serves. He humbled himself. It was deliberate. He was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. The author of life was crucified and suffered our death and death in all its darkness and its shame. Hung on the cross, a Roman cross like an ordinary criminal, cursed, spat on, whipped. This is our God. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We can think of great people in this world. We can think of nasty people who thought they were great. But no name in all human history can rival him. So that the name of Jesus, he is the eternal son of God taking on a human name. He takes our humanity to the throne. Dust, we were made from dust, dust glorified reigns at God's right hand. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he is one who has all authority. And if we know him, then we love him as Lord. And we love his power and authority, his majesty, because we see one who just loved like no man has ever loved. And he comes as Lord, this great Lord of glory. His name is Jesus. Eternal Son of God, one in the, in the cradle with our humanity as a man walking down our street with dirty feet, as the one forgiving and freeing and liberating, dying and rising for us, God exalting this one, Jesus, to be our great Saviour. Do you believe in him? Do you love him? If you do... You're in Christ and he is in you. And you can have this mind in yourself that was in him as he served us. And just as he did all that to the glory of God the Father and as every knee bows, whether they willingly bow or whether they with bitterness bow because they will finally know every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And some will grieve bitterly, but will not worship. But we are those who will love him and bow our knee and confess that he is Lord and we will share his glory. And he will go on serving us in all eternity and we will love and serve him and be perfectly this one people forever. But let's get into it now, because he's now presently Lord over us, the Lord of love. Let's pray. Our dear, gracious Lord, how you long, dear Lord, that you might be fully formed in us, that the world might see that you sent that the Father sent you to be the saviour of the world, that it really happened, that you really did live and die and rise again, that you really do reign as Lord over this world and that you will bring it to its full freedom and renewal in the day of your coming. And Lord, we know your spirit can open our hearts, open blind eyes, Give us faith where before there was nothing. 
Reveal yourself to us, we pray, in these days. In Jesus' name, Amen.